episode 177 of the PJ Archive is an interview I did in 1997 with Marty Pello and Tommy Cunningham, who at the time were respectively the lead singer and drummer of the internationally successful Scottish rock band Wet, Wet, Wet. They have both since left the group, but along with Graham Clark and Neil Mitchell, they enjoyed sell-out tours around the world thanks to chart-topping albums such as Popped In, Sold Out and High on the Happy Side, and huge hit singles such as Wishing I Was Lucky, Sweet Little Mystery, Angel Eyes, Goodnight Girl and Love Is All Around. For this interview, they were in London, promoting their fifth studio album, Ten. Hello guys, congratulations on the new album. How does this compare with previous Wet 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 releases? Uh, okay, here we are on album number five. Uh, but you, I don't really think you ever look back and, and, and think of your new album as being in a comparison to anything you've done before. I broke new ground as far as I'm concerned in the whole recording of it, including timescale. Instead of it taking us two years, it's only took us six months. Uh, solid work. So uh, y- y- the whole focus is on the new songs. We don't really think, is that a better song than one we done four years ago? Hopefully it is. Ho- hopefully we've learnt something. Marty, can you explain how you've broken new ground with this album? Well, uh, on this we collaborated with a couple of other writers, uh, Graham Lyle and Terry Britton. So that's uh, that, that was that was very interesting and, and somewhat different. I don't think it's really changed that much in the way we, we approached the album. But as Tom said, it's, it's not taken us so long. And it's been a, a lot more fun, a lot more relaxed and laid back, if you like. How would you describe what Wet or Wet are all about at this stage? Well, what a question is that? I, I think that's for outsiders to say. We, we're still about this, the same things that we were about when we were uh, on the dole, uh, having just left school. That That is melody. We, we always knew we wanted to write great songs. Uh, we've never been a fashion-orientated band or, or per, even pursued that in any way. It's always been, is it a good song or is it a bad song? If it's a good song, it goes on the album. And that, that was the story back in 1985 when we first got our deal, and that's the story today. We recorded about... Uh, I think we were up to about 23 songs on this album and we chose what we consider to be the best songs. And the first single you've chosen is If I Never See You Again. Why is that the first single, Marty? Well, for us, uh, it seemed to be the obvious uh, one to put forward as the first single and, you know, what we do is we tend to play the songs to various people that we, you know, we think has, have a, a good ear, if you like, for hit songs because we couldn't tell if it was a hit record or no and the response was, oh, that, that, that one seemed to be the, have the best vibe and the most obvious for the first single, I think. Tell me, what's the story behind the song? story behind the song? Oh, um, I, I know I'm going to get asked this quite a lot, but the, the funny thing is, I'm a drummer, so the, the, lyrically, I'm the, the, the last one you should probably ask. But, having said that, I, I take my own, my own meaning from it, as anyone who hears it, hopefully will. So, if I never see you again, it's about separation. It's, people may think that's boy meets girl, but it can be anything. You know, it can basically relationships if you're separated. Some people may love their dog, some people may love a car. You know, it's about being taken away from that. Uh, and hopefully trying to get back together, yeah. Marty, you've had so many hits over the last ten years. Are you able to spot a hit single when you see one now? No, not at all. I, don't, I never claim to that. I mean, some some of the songs on the album, I think, would make great singles, but uh, sometimes they don't. I was going to add to that. I think we're all very good at being A&R men for, or, or scouts for other bands. I think we could pinpoint other bands' careers and say, well, that should have been the single. But when it comes to our own, we're lost. Mm. It really comes down to friends and family uh, and advisors basically going, that's, oh, that's a good song. Oh, is it? Okay, because we've heard it for six months solid and we're just about to take it on the road for two years. By the end of that, you have a certain love for almost every song in a certain way, you know, for different reasons, other than whether they're a top ten hit. 
some of our favourite songs live are still the songs that have been least commercial, the ones that have went to the charts for one week and then died a death. But they're favourites with the band for various reasons. Which probably be, uh, main reason because of memories when it's recording them or the the process that we've had to go through to get the you know the angst we went through to try and get that song to take its finished form. That that's what turns us on. The second single, "Strange," sounds a good one for you as the drummer. Yeah, it's uh, wait a wait. Are renowned for being a sort of ballad-led band, I think, you know, um, rich in melody, and, and the ballads usually give Marty's vocals much more space, but here's a song, Strange, which is much more pumping. The chords themselves, let, we actually pretended we were 17 years of age, we tried to play as if we were young again, in a way, because if you think about it, in the last 10 years we've learnt our instruments, we're becoming not too bad at it, you know, we can do it with our eyes closed, and we try to forget all that and go back to the basics and recorded it live and, and really rough and ready. And hopefully that comes across a little bit, a little bit of an edge. Unusual for us, unusual. Marty, talking of your vocal range, never has it been better tested on Beyond the Sea, which is like an English version, or should I say a Scottish version of La Mer, the French chanson. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've always been a, big, a massive fan of that song because it's, it's a very rich in melody and uh, the, the voice is, a lot of the, the notes are, are sang on the breath. It's a pleasure to actually get a song like that because it can really show you the richness and the warmth and the intimacy of your voice. There's quite a lot of love songs on the album. Are you quite a romantic band, would you say? Very much so. Very much so. I mean, uh, ballads, wait, 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 I've always been a sucker for a, for a slow song, you know. Uh, I mean, it might, be, uh, it might come across as being love songs, but I mean, a lot of songs have a, a really dark undertone as well. So take what you may from it. Tommy, you're all still living in your native Scotland. Does that, do you think, limit your musical influence in some way? Uh, nice word there, native Scotland. I like that, it's kind of natives. Um, that makes it sound as if we're barbarians up there, doesn't it? No, uh, music, uh, I think, can travel the globe. I don't think uh, a song that's a hit in America doesn't somehow get across to Scotland. I think TV and radio pretty much make that it possible for anyone to hear everything. So we listen to the same stuff as someone in Mexico will listen to or, or someone in Jakarta will listen to the same tunes as we listen to. So our influences are very wide-ranging. And it, it, it does change thing. from year to year. Each person in the band drifts off into different kinds of music. But you bring it all back together and you still get wet, wet, wet. Yeah. Marty, whereabouts in the world are wet, wet, wet most popular? Mm, I'd, have, uh, I'd have to be the UK. The UK, that's, our, that's, our, that's where we do most of our business. Also, uh, also snowballs in various parts of Europe as well. A hall in Germany. France. Having said that, we actually done one of our biggest gigs in South Africa last year. It, it might be that they're starved of bands going down there to play. Perhaps that was the reason. We've done big gigs in the past, but the biggest gig we ever done was in Glasgow, but that wasn't a paying audience. Yeah, 100,000 people. But in South Africa, we, we turned up and there was 25,000 people there, all paying the money to, to see the band. I don't know if that's our best market. We don't really think in terms of markets. We actually think in terms of what's, what countries are the most enjoyable to go and visit. Some of the countries we like best, like Spain or Italy, are actually our worst markets, but hey, we keep going back because we have a great time there. Marty, have you had any touring nightmares at all? Oh, just all the obvious stuff, you know, like your trousers ripping, stuff like that, or, uh, you know, embarrassing moments such, uh, such like that. Uh, but you know, it's never, we had a really good team and a really good atmosphere within the tour, so I didn't really have that many nightmares. If I may say that you mentioned to me yesterday there was a sort of bit of a plane disaster almost on one occasion. Oh, although I was in the time and we were in, we were in Australia, we were on the seaplane and it only had one engine. So we went away to this, we're going to have a dinner on some island or something somewhere. Sounds very exotic, doesn't it? Yeah. But uh, we were there having my meal and uh, we had to get back to do an MTV session and uh, 
we got up and up in the plane. I managed to make it back with uh, Neil, but uh, I think it was Tommy and Graham got stranded in the. They had their plane had to go down because the weather got so bad, and they had to land in a lake. We're two gentlemen were fishing, and it was kind of a bit bizarre. Yeah, very bizarre. If, if you imagine it, and the, the, a one-engine plane and didn't have any navigation, so it's not allowed to fly into cloud in case it runs into a hill. Right, it's got no warnings, so the cloud came down below the hills and so we were flying about valleys trying to find a way through back into the airport and we couldn't find it so landed in the lake uh, trundled up up to a boat and said hi can we get a lift to the shore please god knows what the fishermen thought to see this biplane sort of floating towards them but we made it home safely was there a point where you thought you'd had your chips uh, fishing chips <laughs> there's always a fear I, I th- for me personally that's my biggest fear a plane crash even though statistically they say you're, you're safer but I'm telling you every man on a plane and every time the, the undercarriage comes up I'm convinced the pilot's just had a heart attack at the front or the, the pilot's eating the bad fish or something you know I'm always thinking this is the one so what did you think then? Uh, at, that, at that time it's a similar thing you know just your heart starts pounding and you're floating around and it was a girl pilot which did, didn't well no I, I'm not sexist in any way I'm sure she was a stunning pilot mm-hmm. but every time she, she disappeared into a bit of cloud to to try and hop over a, over the top of a hill, I, my heart did start pounding. I had my eyes closed for most of it. God. Marty, how did you feel when you heard what had happened to them? Oh well, uh, first I was uh, first you're somewhat worried, and then at the end of it, you, you know, you can really see the amusing side of it. But uh, did you know, just think that's more money for us if they. <laughs> I, th- I could just see the album going through the roof. Then, then, uh, Christmas coming up and all. Now, when and where will you be touring next? We've just completed the album, so the first thing we're going to do is release a single. The wheels are in motion for the tour. We're not going to tour the UK first, we're going to run around Europe, which will probably take us two and a half months, and then come somewhere towards the beginning or the middle of summer, we should be back in the UK. Everything will be announced well in advance to make sure that everyone has a chance to get tickets. Last tour was very special, we've got to try and top that. I mean, we've done some unique things on between two stages. <laughs> Sounds a bit sexual, bizarre there, but that's what we've done, and we're going to try and do something rather special again this time. Now, the album is called Ten because you're celebrating ten years at the top. Is the tour going to have a similar theme? No, I, I can't see it. You know, I, I was playing behind a big mass of ten or something like that. But uh, I think uh, what we'll try and do is uh, the theme will be to continue having a spectacular show. You know, that's what we try to we always try to outdo ourselves. We're always trying to push down the barriers of yeah. live production. We're going to play in front of ten people in the audience. We're only going to do ten songs and we're only going to use ten chords. There you go. That, that's the theme. Marty, does it feel like a decade to you? Not at all. Uh, I, I can still remember, uh, you know, wishing I was lucky coming out, and that seems as if it was yesterday. Because when you're so, when you're kept really busy, you don't really have time to ponder. And I'm sure if I sat back and really started to take in the last ten years, I would just be overjoyed uh, with the emotion because it's been brilliant. It's been amazing. It's got to thank all the fans. Got to thank people who've stuck behind us and grown with us, and we're, we're surrounded with a good team who have a genuine love and passion for what they're Tommy, the biggest high and the biggest low for the band over the last ten years. Oh, it's hard to put me on the spot. Um, there's been some great highs. I think, for me personally, it was when Goodnight Girl actually went to the top of the charts. At that time, the critics had turned against us. Um, I don't mean the fans or the record buying people. I mean, basically, people within the trendy magazines. Uh, and we were getting shot down in flames. Uh, we just released a new album, and everyone was, had the knives out saying, well, that's them finished, and blah, blah, blah. And uh, the third single was released and it was Good Night Girl and it went straight to number one you know and it's, uh, you saw these jaws dropping and uh, we made sure we, we felt we got hold of each one individually not to be violent to them but just to tell them you know give them a little piece of our mind go, that, that'll teach you Marty the biggest low do you think? Biggest low I mean um, for me 
I don't know. I mean, I, because we've been having, so, we've had so much success. I, I, I don't really see. It. I'm, I'm, I'm much ponder on the highs as opposed to the lows. So I like all the positive things in the career, like getting to meet. We're fans. We get to meet people that we have a great admiration for. You know, we got to play in the Nelson Mandela Day. Toured America, been around the world. I just said, like, I've got nothing to complain about. If it ended today, what a great time I've had. Yeah, the only thing I can add to that is I remember when I think back to the sort of teen, teen days, right? When we were a teen band, it was probably the most enjoyable, but it was also the craziest time because it was kind of the roller coaster had just begun. It wasn't stopping for about two and a half years, it didn't stop. And what happens there is you get really confused in a way, you know, you're, you're kind of lost because you're like, you went from one extreme of being unemployed to having success, having the glamorous side of the business thrust it, thrust forward to you and that becomes pretty disheartening, you know, when you find yourself in a hotel room, having walked off stage to 10,000 people and you're back in a hotel and, and you know, and you're kind of shut off and your friends and family it was, so if anything, what we've done is we've changed that and we've, we've made much more space and much more time for friends and family, the more success you have the more relaxed you can be some people think it's the reverse, you know, the more success the harder it is, no, it's the easier it is we talked vaguely earlier on about embarrassing moments. Is there anything that really stands out? Hmm. It's more basically looking back at some of our, our old uh, press interviews or you know, or some of our photographs or some of our videos. I mean, the list is endless. endless and, I mean, we grew up in the eye of the media, basically. You know, we've came to rotation through the eye of the media, as I said. And so <laughs> when you make a mistake, when you're growing through your 20s, a handful of people get, you know, you make a mistake in your 20s and wet, 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 and the whole world gets to know about it. So, uh, probably there's some things that, I've been, that, that, that I wish I hadn't said, and there's some pictures that I wish I hadn't done. I have done. Had done. Have done, that's it. Yeah. Yes. Tommy, can you think of anything really embarrassing? Uh, to me, no, but I can think of one with Marty in the last tour. Uh, <laughs> the very first gig was in Aberdeen in the UK tour, and uh, we had two stages. So, obviously, when you're on the big stage, you've got uh, roadies and things at hand, and people, if anything breaks down, it can be fixed. But we went to this little stage. And on that stage, there was only like two people to take care of the, the whole band situation and security. And uh, Marty Strouser split uh, live on stage. <laughs> well, the girls loved that, didn't they? Uh, I, I was actually transferring from one stage to the other stage, and the scream that went up was unbelievable. I thought the scream was for me. I was like, God, they do love me. Even though I'm the drummer at the back, they love me. But no, it was Marty Strouser's had split. You know, uh, and it was quite funny. He, he ended up wrapped up in a rug, you know, in the middle of this stage with 10,000 people around him. All, all eyes f- fixed on him in case it would slip. You changed into one of the roadies' jeans, didn't you? So, like, you move jeans now. The poor roadie, obviously, that, that, that was the most embarrassing, I guess, for the roadie. It was, hey, was even worse. Done a lot for PJ Proby's yeah, career, yeah, didn't that's it? That's true. Now, although you're celebrating 10 years at the top, the band's actually been together for a few years before that. What was your initial aims for the band? How successful did you think you'd be, Marty? For me, I just always thought that's what you do. You join a band, <laughs> you write songs, you put them out, people buy them, <laughs> you have success and you live happily ever after. And so far, that's exactly what it's been like. So, uh, Fairy tale. Uh, yeah, Cinderella story, to make your dreams become reality is uh, very, very hard and, and we're extremely lucky. Tommy, to what extent has the band progressed in the way you've wanted it to? Oh, th- th- that's you asking what's the master plan of wet, 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 you know, which to me is impossible to answer because there is no master plan apart from what we're doing in the next few months, which relates to getting the album out and touring. There is no master plan. It always seems to fall into our lap. I think as we become fatists the older we get, you know, or we sort of believe in divine, you know, things being given to us at the right moment, i.e. Goodnight Girl, being given in a way that was given to us, I believe. It sounds a bit too biblical, perhaps. A better way to explain it is perhaps that one door closes and another door faces you and you open it and you walk through and you go, right, what, what's going to happen here? And that's the way it's always worked, f- right from the, from the very first rehearsal 
of attempting to write a song right through to, to, to today when we're sitting talking to you. Who knows what may happen in the, in the next second? That's one of the things that keeps you going. You're like, OK, what's through here? And what, what happens if we do that? What happens if we go on stage with an orchestra? You know, what happens if we record in this manner? What happens if we go to America and try it? You know, we're always changing. What happens if we do this live on stage? There's so many more avenues and ambitions to be fulfilled for it. But trying to name them is impossible until they come up. You know, that, that's the way it works. Marty, how often do you listen to your early stuff and what do you think of it now? Well, I mean, I, I listen to your music. It's quite hard to avoid, you know, when you, when you turn on the radio, at least one, at least... Every day I'll hear one of my songs. I mean, cause, because uh, it's, it's unavoidable. I, I like it. I see some of the mistakes, and I would dearly love to turn back the hands of time and approach it in a different way. But I mean, it was good for the time, and it was the best that we could do at your ability, and I, I still thoroughly enjoy it. What do you mean, mistakes? Can you pinpoint one in particular? Well, uh, no, I'm not saying uh, mistakes is probably. Uh, it's purely as an arrangement, or I wish we'd tried this, or, you know, if we'd have changed that sound there, it, 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 would, have, it would have complemented this a bit better. I could have changed, you know, the backing vocals. Uh, but there comes a time where you just have to put the song to bed and say, OK, or you just, if you're left to your own devices, then you end up. It's like making a cake, you keep on putting in ingredients and then it suddenly bang, it doesn't taste right and falls flat on its face. So sometimes you just have to put the songs to bed. Tommy, which of the early Wets hits are you most proud of? <laughs> well, there's been so many to choose from. Uh, wishing I Was Lucky is still pretty special. I, I think it, there's a certain style of song, which is Wishing I Was Lucky, and we've never actually written a song similar to it since. Uh, there's something about being 18 years of age and the energy and the, the fact that it was a demo and it was a first time recording properly and everything fell into place. And there's so many ideas within there because we were actually frightened of leaving out a a hook and a melody so we put every possible thing in it and you hear it we call it the kitchen sink mix you've got every possibility of every single thing's in there when I hear that I just what I hear is the youth I I hear the excitement I don't hear a particularly fantastic song I I don't think it's like a a classic in in terms of you know the the sort of melodic structure or whatever you know but but there's something electric about it something really you know sparkles a unique moment by far the biggest hit, of course, has been Lovers All Around. Yeah. Some people think it's a millstone around the wet's neck. Is that the case? Well, I mean, everybody's entitled to their own perception of what they see the song as. For us, it was, uh, for us, it was recorded in two days, a sense of humour and a case of lager. We played it to people and people said, you know, that's a great song, that, that is really, really good. And obviously it was, it was connected with four weddings and a funeral. It was, it was great for our career, it was positive. It was a, a shot in the arm, you know... It, we were number one for about four or five years or something, you know, and uh, it was never off the radio. And it was a, a shot in the arm for its career and, and gave us a little bit more time for some more good times. Yeah. Did you worry you'd never cap that song, though, Tommy? That's the wrong way to think about it. Uh, a song like that or success like that only comes along to uh, it comes along to virtually no one. Um, in the UK, you, in, in one hand, you can count how many people have had that level of success. So you think you can cap it or emulate it or by writing a song similar and recording it in the same way you could do it again is wrong. You've got to move on and move on to something else. Uh, I'm more proud of the new songs than I'll ever be of anything we've done in the past. You know, that's where the excitement lies right now. There's no point talking over what love is all around done or what it didn't do or what it could have done or, or may have done. It's all about what, what the new things, you know, when we put out If I Never See You Again, let's hope that can achieve something if not exactly the same as Lovers All Around, then something different. But as, long, as long as it turns someone on somewhere, it certainly turns me on. Marty, what did you lot think of Four Weddings and a Funeral? I loved it. Maybe I thought it was absolutely fantastic. You know, I thought uh, the, the, acting, the acting was superb. The, the, it was very, I don't mean to sound condescending, but it was uh, uh, the English laughing at themselves, which was very, which I thought was quite, quite funny, to say the least. And Hugh Grant is, uh, that for me, that is him. 
I've ever follow him. I see him. He's the exact Tomondo. He's the exact same character, and I mean, it complimented him. Absolutely perfect, and and you know, as for the writing, and it was just absolutely superb. Very witty. Did it give you any inspiration for your own wedding, whenever that might be? <laughs> oh, well, I'll see. I'll see if uh, what's his what's, who wrote it? what's his name? Richard Curtis. See if my, my friend Richard Curtis will uh, if he can do his a good scripting uh, for that day, and <laughs> that should be something to look forward to. Tell me, what about the movies for you guys? Okay. Um, Four Wins, as you know, was an ambition come true. We actually, just a few weeks before it, had, had suggested, you know, we'd sat down at a meeting and said, let's try something new, let's try and get one of our songs to complement a film, and lo and behold, Four Wins, if you know, there. Since that, they've been approached by more people, but the right situations never came up. There's been various movies, through commitment or being on tour or, or whatever, we've never managed to tie the two together. In the future, I, I think it'd be very interesting for what you're to specifically write a song to suit a moment. We're very good at writing songs that have an emotional element to them. But if someone actually said, write a song about this subject, that's we usually find that hard to actually try and get. I think that'd be a, a good challenge to do. So perhaps if anyone's out there and they want to throw a film their way and say, write it about this subject matter and go, and you've got you've get a week, that would be a great challenge. Yeah. But what about acting in the movies? Didn't do any harm to, <laughs> didn't do any harm to the Beatles or the Monkeys. Acting. Uh, acting. Oh, but you got offered scripts, plays, or a book, or novel, or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah been offered scripts. Yeah, I mean, but most of them are just kind of like try to play yourself, you know, and it's not very, or else they're kind of a bit iffy. But uh, yeah, I mean, we talk, I'm, I give in a shot. I'm still bowled over the, the success that we had and people going by the records. I wonder if they would pay money to go and see me on the big screen. Yeah, I don't know, but it's worth a, it's worth a try. For yeah. a crack, yeah. that's true. It's certainly worth a tr- worth a crack. But you've got to remember that. Uh, People who are the best actors, when they were 14, they were dreaming about being acting. When we were 14, we were dreaming about being a band. So our whole psyche, our whole approach is about being yourself and portraying that, whereas an actor is all about portraying someone else, and that's a totally different... You know, I, I think there's been some glowing disasters of people in bands moving into movies, you know. I, I think it's something you've got to really be careful about. Was the success of Love Is All Around and Four Weddings what inspired Priscilla Presley to invite you to take part in the Elvis tribute a couple of years ago in Memphis? Oh, very much so. I think uh, the, the reason we got there, that was, a, that was a major player. That was a major player, and I think um, she enjoys her music. The reason uh, for us it was nice to give something back to Memphis because we love Memphis. It was very, very, very close to our heart, and we went there and we, as far as I was concerned, we were the best of the night. We brung the house down, we got them rolling, and it's all sad great opportunity to play Elvis, isn't it? Uh-huh, uh-huh. uh-huh. Uh, the most bizarre thing was being at the party at Gracelands. That, that was strange. You know, instead of the gates opening up and us traipsing in as tourists to go and look at Elvis's toilet, we found ourselves in the grounds with a glass of champagne and, you know, the total run of the place with Priscilla walking around. Hi, Priscilla, how are you doing? Oh, yeah, champagne. Thank you very much. Oh, I was a king. Uh, a great night. Th- th- that's the glamorous side, you know. Is, is, is sometimes those things can be real fun. Not to be taken too seriously, um, but we did. We found ourselves in Memphis, and it was quite strange to see the white side of Memphis as well. Our previous visit had been purely to, to the ghetto area, where we worked with Willie Mitchell, and we lived that life for two and a half months. And to go back and see this, uh, the rich middle class, you know, whites, hey, who have done well, and you know, in a party at Gracelands was bizarre to find us here, especially when we knew that we could walk for for ten minutes and be back in the ghetto, you know, just round the corner, which we actually did. We went and visited Willie Mitchell, you know, back in the same place. Hey, what are you guys doing in town? Oh, we're just at Gracelands, you know. Hey, I've not been there for years, you know. Is it true that um, Michael Jackson was at the do? Aye, Michael oh, was there with Janet. Aye, Lisa Marie, Michael, and I think Janet was there as well. Janet Jackson was there. But yeah, Michael was in the building. <laughs> so what did you make of Michael Jackson? What do you make of Michael Jackson? Um, uh, his music's stunning. Um, his lifestyle's bizarre. You know, what else can you say? 
Yeah, well, I, I, I agree with that. He's a um, magnificent singer, magnificent performer. But what goes on in his social life, I, I, I would I would never comment on because you don't know what's what and what, where. And I wish him continued success. Now, you explained earlier that you get very proud to meet some people you've always considered heroes. Who haven't you met that yet that you'd like to meet, or who have you met that you're really excited to meet? Who would I like to meet? I would love to meet um, Michael McDonald. I think he's a fantastic singer, and uh, I think I got on quite well with him, but you never know. You never know. I'd love to meet him. I've met uh, Eric Clapton, I've met Elton John. You know, the people that you grew up listening to, and it was amazing. They were... They were as much fans of our music as we were theirs, and it's like, it's just something about that when, you know, Elton John will say, Hey, Marty, or, you know, you think, Hey, you know, it's my name, man, excellent. I mean, we're fans at the end of the day, and yep. it's, it's, it, this is a great vehicle to, you know, to meet some of, your, some of the, your idols, if you like. Now, you guys are very genuinely modest, so does it still seem very strange that people consider you heroes? I find it strange because um, Marty just touched on it there. We're fans, you know, first and foremost, we love music, that's what we get into it. So when we walk into a room and you see someone who's had success, you know, someone who you respect, your heart stops, it starts jumping. And, and I can never relate that to anyone else approaching what it went and thinking, oh my God, there's what it went. That, that, that doesn't seem as if it should be a real thing. Someone says hello to you, you're like, oh yeah, the same as you would say if you met someone you haven't seen in school for 15 years, oh yeah, you know. I think we're very approachable people. I don't think we cut ourselves off like Michael Jackson or Prince where you, you'd be frightened to walk up and say hi in case you know a bouncer jumped on you. If you see us in the street, I think you could approach us and go hi. And that's the way we like it. You know, we are pretty normal. We ain't trying to build a wall. Now, you mentioned school. You were all at school together. How well did you get on at school together? Just the, the exact same yeah, the exact same thing. We always got on well. There was never any, like, there was no one person who was not getting on with the other or else we wouldn't have lasted this amount of time. We've just basically all grew up together. Uh, we're very different people, different tastes in music. You guys have always had very strong ideas about the band and what it needs and everything else. Is that because you were at school together so long ago and you've known each other so well over the years? I think it's important that you're in, in control of your career and your destiny and, and you have an input into it no matter what, what it may be. If it's got anything to do with you, like sleeve design, who you're going to work with on that sleeve design, um, which TV programmes you want to go, which magazines you want to do, where you want to be seen... That's, that, that's all healthy because if it all stops today, there's nothing worse than hearing a band say, oh, it was the manager's fault. It was a record company that they just didn't perceive us in the right way. It's your fault for not grabbing the horse by the reins or giving yourself enough rope to hang yourself. Success brings, brings you basically freedom of reins. We can do anything we want. We just say, look, to the record company, there you go, there's the album. This is who we want to go and work with it. Go and get as that person. You know, organise that for us. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's basically that. We're an end in ourselves, and I think uh, the record company appreciate that. Not so easy for young bands coming up, though, to have the courage to do that, which you certainly did in the first place. OK, um, we were quite lucky. We had an independent label in Glasgow, so instead of having to go through meetings with the record company, we had a buffer, which, which was this, our new management company, Precious. So we could have a meeting ourselves, decide what we thought was the right thing. And then without us having to try and convince anyone, we sent in the, what we call the, sort of the heavy force, if you like, like, management, you go in there and you do the shouting. So everyone still thinks we're the nice guys, you know, and no one likes the manager, but, every, but really the ideas come from us. We, we did make some mistakes. As Marty said, when you're very young and someone says to you, uh, this is the best producer in the world, you really should use this guy, you're, you're kind of like, oh, really, the best? Well, we should try that. And, and we've got some archive stuff that's stuck away, which we'll never see the light of day because it's been recorded by us a collaboration that just didn't work, you know, um, and it was only having make, made mistakes, he suddenly go, right, that's not the right way to do it, let's do this. 
Um, you don't become popular by wanting your own way. You know, everyone will say wet, wet, difficult, because they'll go, no, we're not doing that, we're not doing this. That's because we don't want to make the same mistakes we've made in the past. Yeah. Do you not fear that one day, like the Beatles anthology, they might release all that material one day? Oh, well, I think that would be exceedingly funny. I mean, that would be, be fantastic. Archaeology, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it would be great, great to see that. I mean, who knows, if, if, if we're lucky, hey, it makes you the light of the air, if we're not, ah, c'est la vie. Just to go back to your school days, if I may, though, were you all very much one big clique at school, and were you, to, were you also the heartthrobs in those days? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh. <laughs> definitely. I remember being chased, but no, not at all. You can't survive in school in that way. Um, I remember Graham and Neil, they liked punk rock. I was more your R&B rock man, right, or pop, you know, I was into a different thing. Um, you liked a lot of the, like the, the lot newer of bands, new wave? New wave, uh, I liked a lot of the, like, Duran Duran and Spandau Ballet, I liked all that sort of stuff. Uh, I, st- I still do like some of the songs. So, so, so it was different people, but the yeah. music brought you together. It, it was like, the, um, although you shouldn't smoke, whoever's listening out there, uh, we used to go to Smoker's Corner, as you do, uh, and it was there was rockers in one corner and there'd be you know punks in that corner. Rastas, rastas, you know, Mods. all coming together under one roof, you know, <laughs> smoking. A, a poetic moment. Are your school very proud of you? Do they invite you back and so on? Yeah, they do. I mean, they've, they've got various discs. discs, discs. <laughs> they've got various discs. <laughs> they've got various discs on their wall, uh, which, which we gave to them. we have been down there doing silly little documentary things, going, hi, this is where it all began, you know. Um, the, the strangest thing that happened is we were on a, a, a famous British uh, morning, morning show. On, a, on an independent channel. <laughs> <laughs> Breakfast. Yeah, it was indeed. And uh, they, they did do a surprise. Well, for some guests, they do surprises. And, and we thought, they're going to try and set us up. What is this going to be? And we didn't know what it would do. If they're going to go to mums and dads or something or, or pull someone out of our past. And lo and behold, it's a school. And anyway, so there was these teachers, and there they are on the screen, and they're going, and I remember Tommy, he was such a good pupil, and, and they would say, and it's, they would say his name, and we knew him by a different name. It was <laughs> pretty cool. You know, a, a bad name. Uh-huh. Um, and just watch these guys saying how good we were. But at the time, I remember being kind of hated by the teachers <laughs> for being a troublemaker. You know, and then, then it's, it's the old story. I remember my father telling me I was a bum and I should go out and get a proper job at age 21. And after success of six months, he's like, oh, that's my boy, isn't it fantastic? <laughs> and I know for a fact, if this all stopped and I ended up back on the door in a few years, I'd be like, yeah, bum, go and get a real job again. You know, it, it, it kind of comes with the territory. Marty, at the height of your popularity with the teen fans, yeah. what were the most memorable incidents? Uh, I think uh, one of them was extremely frightening. I remember one time uh, we were we were doing a show in some stadium or something like that, yeah. and uh, the rest of the guys decided to go up the road. QPR, wasn't it? Uh, was it QPR? The rest of the guys decided to go up the road earlier, you know. Then I, so I thought, oh, I said, I'll just stay down and watch the rest of the bands. You know, there's a couple of other people I wanted to see, and uh, we did our song. They went up, they they went flew back up to Scotland and left me. So the, the show ends and I decide, hey, oh, well, right, that's it. I'll, I'll head to the airport now, you know, walk out and get a taxi. And there was about, like, 5,000 people outside waiting for me, standing there with this kind of bizarre looks up on their faces, brandishing <laughs> pens and pieces of paper. And, and I thought, I'll be there for days, man, or, or else I'll get torn to pieces. And that, that was really frightening for me. I had to get, you know, people to, kind of, you know, to get... 10 feet to the car that, that, that was there it took like 20 minutes you just thought you did a show and that was your first real taste of hysteria there was no security at that time we never needed security we were used to just walking about the streets it was because everyone was in the stadium we walked out and left Marty to it you thought he's having a wee party I was having a wee party but, myself but, but you know asking various bands like, hey, can I use your security and they're going no mate no it's no. <laughs> so security get your own like, oh my <laughs> god help please <laughs> you could actually still be there today if it hadn't been for the, the kind hand of someone that day absolutely yeah, yeah. Have you had any cases of weird fans, crazed ones? 
Well, I think that comes with the territory. You know, some people put you on such a, a pedestal that it can be spooky. But well, lucky enough, uh, all the people who, who enjoy music seem to be kind of sane, you know. I mean, uh, I know there's nothing that really sticks to mind. I mean, I, sometimes you hear horror stories about other people who are in the eye of the media, but I've been extremely lucky. Any problems with you, Tommy? Just for funny things, funny letters. You know, there's one girl turned up the same way we're getting married, but again, this was back in 87 or 88. Just photographs and all that, you know. There's been various nude photographs sent through it, which which we have a large collection of, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> which I usually say, I usually send one back. You know, <laughs> here's me naked. No, I don't. I don't. Um, there's things like that. Uh, Mar- Marty said it exactly. If you thought along the lines of how dangerous this business is for for just enjoying yourself, you know, you, you would never leave home. You would never record another record. I think the Beatles are a different kettle of fish simply because of the size and the stature. And they're not so much a band anymore as just icons, you know, and kind of they're very much based in history, you know, the whole thing, the whole size of it all. I think wait a wait, I've got a long way to go before we get based in, you know, before you get shot, basically. <laughs> yeah, I think that ends that whole. If I'm if I'm right in saying this, that guy actually stalked uh, Neil Diamond before. Yeah, and uh, his people got on, on the case of, a, of, the, of the weird letters and, you know got to him and said, look, you better stop this, man. And I think he just moved on to John Lennon. And John Lennon never took any, paid any attention to it, or his people didn't. And that's what it says. It's a society that seems to be doing it. You're talking about that, it just makes you think of Dumbledore, doesn't it? You know, you're just thinking with how society seems to be... If the guns are available, people are going to pick them up. You're, you're a hundred times more likely for a member of your family to die of a gunshot wound if you have one in the house. So you should, we, should, we should ban guns for them in the UK. America's got, there's no chance of banning them there, but here in Britain, ban them, man. Stop guns from becoming available to anyone. Your thoughts too, Marty? Absolutely, here, here, here. I think um, having fired a gun, you know, it, it, it was such a... I, I couldn't see any thrill in it at all. It just felt, it just, it just felt so alien and so... We went to a shooting range in, the, I think it was Sun City. Oh, yeah. And I, I thought, oh, oh, give me a shot at that. I'm into firing a gun. And I thought, what am I all about here, you know? And it, and it was just, it felt alien and horrible. And I think, yeah, as Tom said, I think all handguns should be banned. I think it's, I think they're... Yeah, I, I, that, that day when someone says you want to go and shoot some guns, we actually thought, hey, that'll be a bit like playing commando. You, a bit like revisiting your youth and think you're going to be Action Man or John Wayne like the movies, but in reality they don't feel like that when they're in their hands. They're just deadly me- mechanical things, you know. Just, just get rid of them. A, a toy's fine, you know, for a kid and watching watching a John Wayne film or whatever, but when it comes to reality, then it, that you, need to, you need to build a wall and stop that, you know. Yeah. Now, you guys are passionately fond of your own country. How did you all feel when you heard what had happened that day? Absolutely stunned. Everybody, were, I can. It's like it's, it's like the, for me, it was like the shooting of, of Kennedy or the, the death of Elvis. You know, I mean, something like that. That sounds terrible. The death of Elvis, but you always remember where you were, where you were. You know, and uh, that there was absolutely stunned. Stunned. I mean, words can't. You just can't say how much the whole community was absolutely devastated, as well as I think through through the whole of Britain into shock. Yeah, it just put things into perspective that too much perspective, maybe. But the, I mean, that could have been stopped as well. You know, that guy was absolutely ballistic, man. Why didn't people go on the case? You started hearing more horror stories about them. It's constantly ongoing about how disturbed this gentleman was. Yet he was allowed into society, and to do what he'd done is just—I un- mean, that's just mental. Yeah, I still find myself in tears when you watch it. Or it's great that the songs made it to number one. Great that the um, so long after it that people in Britain still remember and still think about it, and hopefully it will stop it. You know, something happened. I think the government 
has got so many different people saying different things that it's all getting um, diluted in a way with, with the government side. But I think the people of Britain are 100% behind it. Every newspaper had huge polls and there's been so much money collected. I think the whole country as a whole, their psyche is basically saying, get rid of them. So I think, I think it's time the government actually just turned and listened to the people instead of making little decisions and, you know, in Parliament. It's actually just listening to the people. Let's do a vote on it. That's what we should do. Let's do a vote and we'll, we'll see what the majority says. Are there any links at all between the band or anyone around the band and the people of Dunblane? Other than the fact thing, with the, uh, obviously we come from Scotland, but I, I've, I've found that it, it, it's, it's just, just, well, it isn't just the people of Scotland that it's touched. I mean, um, people in Australia felt touched by it. People in America were horrified. We've obviously all sat in our houses and watched various news items from around the world when some lunatic goes crazy. Uh, usually it's been in America, you know, uh, and you feel quite de- detached. When you, when, you, when you hear it's adults, there's a certain detachment from it. You think, oh, there you go, it's somewhere else. But when it does come home and it's within our culture, within our society, and it's kids that it's affecting. I, th- I think that it affected everyone worldwide in a different level altogether because of the innocence that was wiped out that day, you know. To change the subject, how did the guys you grew up with take to your initial success and popularity, especially with the women? <laughs> especially with the women, uh, that's a good one. Um, uh, I think our, our, our real friends uh, who, who knew me when I was at school and who have, who have seen me, I don't know, in various states of... Uh, <laughs> disappear. <laughs> disappear. Uh, they, they know me for who I am. I mean, obviously, the, the, there's other people who approach me and see me as Mark Pello in the front page of the paper or on the TV and approach me differently. But... Um, my close friends loved my success through my eyes. Was there ever a day when somebody said, you're getting big-headed, cut it out? Oh, every 20 minutes, you know, I mean, sometimes you lost a plot. I mean, sometimes you, you could believe your press, but the secret is not to. I mean, big-headed is, uh, I, know, I don't know, I mean, arrogant as well, you cheeky, where does it stop, the list is endless. We just grew, uh, 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 for me, I just got on with life and... If I make a mistake, I'm the first to admit it. Here's something I've found. A lot of people have approached me and uh, they usually try and say something because they think they know Marty. Because if, if you smile on TV, a lot, of, a lot of people take that as being arrogance when in fact he's just enjoying himself singing. So they think they know the personality, the way your whole life revolves. And they approach me and they'll say, what the, what the hell is your singing up to that night? Like, what? We're just singing the song. So, so, so there's always that, you know. During interviews, we usually give a lot of ourselves who we are. But when you see it on TV or, or, or hear a song, all you're getting is a one-dimensional forum, in a way, you know. In fact, even this is pretty one-dimensional compared to the, everything else we do, you know, the life we actually lead. Um, Can I yeah, say something? I think, uh, I think uh, these are all elements of, of your psyche, of your personality. I think that, yeah, of course I'm arrogant, of course I'm big-headed. You know, when I'm on stage, uh, you know, that's, that's where I'm meant to be, that's where I should be, that's where everything feels right for me. So I'm enlarging life. But the secret is, is to be able to take the coat off when you leave the stage, if you, if you will, that 24 hours a day, I don't think anybody could take me on then, you know, it would be too much. You know, I'm, I'm not the sort, the sort of person not going to a room and, you know, and work the room and it's me, 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 you know, and have like an audience, you know, an audience with Marty in that room. I, I, I go into a room and I'll just like, you know, sit back, that's me. But when I'm on stage, I'm larger than life, of course I am. That's what people's expectations are of me. Come show me, show this, show that. You were once quoted as saying that in Glasgow you can never tell whether a guy's going to shake your hand or punch you in the mouth. Mm-hmm. Have you ever experienced abuse of that kind? Well, um, what I mean by that was uh, that it's, it's a love-hate relationship for uh, in Scotland, I believe. I think uh, for us, Glasgow's a very special place. It's, you know, it's, it's a place of immense inspiration for us. The people are very warm, very given to us. No, I haven't found myself in that situation because I wouldn't let that situation happen. You see, the difference is, is if you know the, the, the psyche of a person or you can feel it coming on, 
and you can divert the conversation, you can change that. You know, and some people will generally walk up to you and say, yeah, well, I, you know, I like your music, or some people will come up to you and say, oh, I hate your music. Fair enough. You know, it's not going to turn and make, make me want to punch him in the face or something like that. You know, I, I, I never feel that way. You you make it, you can divert that, and that's not that's no problem. Tommy, experienced any trouble? Glasgow is Glasgow, like any other working-class city. Glasgow likes working-class heroes to succeed, but once they're up there, they like them to come back down to earth. Um, if we moved to London, I think we'd be in more trouble. I think we're, it's the healthiest place we can live. Um, to, to, to have trouble, there's always got to be someone who thinks you're being a bit bigger than you, than you should be, or or showing off if you walk in you've said this matter you walk into a bar and you buy a drink for your mates and everyone else thinks you're tight because you've only just bought your mates it. if you don't buy anyone a drink then you're the tightest guy that ever walked you know a, a, a tight jock strap whatever you know whatever you know a sweaty sock you can't really win the best thing to do is, is be yourself and just enjoy yourself and get through life you know and, and hopefully not lose it a lot, but hopefully not become a casualty I mean it'd be horrible to be 45 alone and an alcoholic who, who, who lives on the success I had when I was a young man but we've seen to, that happen to too many people we'd like to try and avoid it and survive it's often been said that you as a band fight with each other, often using your fists and so on. Is that really true? Well, I mean, I've... <laughs> <laughs> boom. No, I don't... I, I mean, the, the, some, some of these times, some of these statements that get into the papers, I don't know where they have to come from. Well, I mean, yeah, we, I mean we, we do argue, we do fight like every, I mean, like every relationship or whatever, you know, when we're in a... When we're the five guys in that room, it's no bigger than the size of a living room trying to write songs, then I, it can get quite heated. There's no getting away for that, but there's no, there's never been really out and out like you know fisticuffs, not that I can remember anyway. Tommy, what's the worst occasion you can remember? There's been so many. I think over the past few years, uh, wet or wet, I've, I've learned to give each other space. We lived in each other's pockets a great deal. We are older. We have get families and friends and houses and, and, va- and various other interests that, I mean, as Marty said earlier, you take the coat off and we can go in and do other things. You know, live a normal life. And that helps us, you know, gives us a bit of space. I think we've also discovered roles for each member of the band. Graham has surpassed himself within the studio. He's the only one we'll listen to when it's time to get up and do something or, or change something. Marty is still the front person, no matter you know what anyone else says. He, he, he's this, this, the person who's got to try and communicate with everyone, whoever the song is. He's got to try and get the message across. For me, I'll take to do with this imagery things. And Neil, if he likes the little heart that pumps away at the back, you know, the, the voice of reason at the back. You know, and that's where it went. And so, yeah, there's, there's been bad moments, but there's been a lot more good moments. Has Marty's the fact that he does get most of the limelight and so on? Does that cause any problems at all? Any friction with the rest of you? Uh, no, because thing, I think for uh, perhaps at the start, everyone is equal when you have nothing and when you have success. It, it appears from a media point of view that one person is doing better than others. Although wet or wet are a total democracy. All decisions are made be- between everyone in the band. All the money gets split evenly, so, so, so there's no as if there's one person making making more. Or, and I think what Marty gains for being the front man is the fame. So he gets a, a restaurant table very easily, or he gets treated slightly differently. But that can be a negative as well. When Marty wants a down day, then he, he's still be, he's still being treated as being Marty Pell, the singer in the band. Whereas I'm the guy in the background, I'm the goalkeeper of, of the of the band, if you like. I'm the guy at the back. So when I take the coat off, I can walk away and, and become anonymous totally. So I think I, I gain from that, from being the person at the back. I still have the success, still have the lifestyle, but I'm at the background. So I think everything that Marty gains, he's got a negative side, and everything that I lose, I've also got a plus side. Have the differences you have had between you ever made you come close to splitting up at all as a band? No, 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 no. no that is just, that's, no. We need each other. That's as simple as that. We need each other to make this wet, wet thing happen. 
the way it does. The, the no one person is. We, 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 it's an amalgamation of people coming together and for a love of trying to achieve something. And they like good music, and, and I think that this is what we do. And I, th- I intend to be in Whitbread for another ten years, as far as I'm concerned. I don't see why we shouldn't. It's still good fun. We're still making good music. There's still people out there wanting to hear our music. So as long as the people like, enjoy it and we enjoy it, then basically you'll not get rid of us that easy. <laughs> Unlike many rock bands, Wet Wet have never been associated with you know, boozing and drugs and all that sort of thing. Is that something that's very important to you guys? Just never been caught, basically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, th- I think um, uh, we work hard and we party hard, so take what you will from that. We would rather go to a local little bar than go to some trendy night spot, you know, where the paparazzi are sitting outside. We'd rather just go right to this local pub and we can have just as good a time there with normal people or, or just like friends and family again rather than hanging around with the so-called celebs, you know. But we don't think of ourselves as being celebrities. Um, we think of ourselves as being musicians who go on stage and perform. It's, it's not as if our personalities like... Uh, a TV guy, you know, who, who sells himself as being Mr. Personality, you know, like a Butlin's red coat almost in a way. Mm-hmm. We're more, the music should do the talking and the personalities hopefully can take a step back from that. The trend among some of the new bands is to be quite boorish and laddish and all that sort of thing. What do you think of that kind of behaviour? Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, personally, I mean, I think, whatever it takes. I mean, if, uh, if they want to do that, good luck to them. If, it gets them, if, if they enjoy doing it, well, fair enough. I mean, personally, for, for myself, I mean, I... I just do what I do sometimes. Uh, I can be arrogant and boisterous as well, but uh, I don't really give them that much thought. I tend to listen to their music, and if I like their music, then that's cool. Whatever they do off the mic, or it's entirely up to themselves. It makes for some nice light entertainment, but I think it can distract for the music, I think. But if everyone was the same as Wet 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 and treated the, the business... Can I ask you what you think of Oasis? I thoroughly enjoy their music. They're great, man. Liam seems to be one of the most obnoxious people in the world, and they knows... knows and I, I retract that obnoxious statement. He seems to be uh, lost. I think the success has been thrust upon that guy, and that's and everybody deals with it in a different way. And this is obviously why he deals with it. Is it's hard because he's in a circus, you know. He's in the eye of the media. I mean, the Oasis are massive. You know I mean, they do good songs. They they're, they're good live. You know, the one that writes no. Yes. yes. He's a brilliant songwriter, man. Brilliant, absolutely great. And I wish them continued success. But it's just a shame that sometimes that. They're in that goldfish scenario, you know, where they're in the, you know, the eye of the media on them. I think just let, leave them to their own devices. Let them lie and just let them get, do what they do best, and that's make music. Yeah, it's also quite good as a double act, you know, the way there's a the good brother. It's a good cop, bad cop. I think that's quite fun as well, and they don't get on that well. I'm sure they got, do get on brilliantly, but the media hype it up. If all bands were the same as Wet or Wet, or all bands were the same as Oasis, but a very boring industry, it's nice to have uh, someone who can stick the boot in now and again. It's not, it's, it's not our style to do that, but hey, it's Oasis' style, so good luck to them. Yeah. How much do you guys save each other when you're not working? I can find myself walking into the, the same boozer as Tom quite easily. Mm-hmm. Bump into him, you know, my friends are his friends, we know, we know each other. So, I, quite, quite easily, you know, if I'm home for a week, I'll probably see him at least twice in that week. And that's only just purely for a coincidence, because we keep the same circles. <laughs> so it's... Yep. Now, I know you're very private about your personal lives and so on, but may one just know what your setup is? Are you living oh, yeah. some married or...? No problem at all. Um, for me, I had a childhood sweetheart just as the band was starting before we got a deal, so I stuck with her, or she stuck with me. Maybe that's a better way to put it. And so we married with two kids. Yeah, very happy. Yeah, yeah great. Uh, and Marty, you're engaged, yeah. right? Engaged. Got engaged last year to a, a wonderful lady called Eileen Catterson. We're very, very happy at the moment, and everything's going full guns. Looking forward to Christmas. That's about it. Remember, remember, I'm your best man. <laughs> when well, is the wedding? Oh, well, there's no fixed date yet. 
Because do you find it annoying that people keep wanting to know, or is it going to happen? I think it's just part and parcel of what uh, you know. Some people say, you know, they ask, they know how am I? You're engaged. When's the when's the big day? I mean, apparently last year I got married four times and divorced, and I think it was Christmas Day. I mean, I don't know. You know, I I think uh, when it happens, it happens, and it feels right for both of us. Then it will happen. Do you think it might happen quite quickly? You might just suddenly say, let's go off to Gretna Green, or are you going to do it in a big style? I really don't know. I really don't know. I've got some friends who tried the Gretna Green thing. They thought, let's get go and get married. And they tried. They drove down there, and then they were told, you've got to put your bands up uh, for two weeks beforehand. You've got to get a licence, which takes four days to come through. There's no such thing. You've got to plan even a Gretna Green. Like, right, okay. Who's going to do the ceremony? Where's the cars? Hey, go to Vegas and get married in that. Drive through. Yeah, I, you could do that. The Church of Elvis. The Church of Elvis, you know. I mean, I can't know. I mean, I'm sure it'll be great in the day. That would be a business opportunity. You could actually get the Church of Marty opened up in Glasgow, you know, and just drive through. I like it, though. I like it. I like I it. Like do it. you think you might perform at your wedding? I mean, are you going to do Love is All Around? <laughs> that night, you will. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who knows? Who knows? I mean, uh, all my friends are, are you know, are musicians, basically. You know, so, I mean, it'll be a hell of a day. Hell of a day. How, how difficult is it to keep relationships going while you're touring around the world all the time? That's the hardest thing. Um, the relationship within the band is very solid. Um, we've got some very understanding people within each relationship within the band. So when we're on the road, thank God for telephones. They're, they're, they're kind of the bane of our life and at the same time a godsend. You know, it's like at least we can call home every night. Um, we've actually got a rule where we don't work for any more than three weeks at a time without either flying the family to us or else um, I shoot home. I saw me in the last two going home for just one night, you know, I'd be like in, in Holland one night, go home, sleep more in bed up in the morning, see the kids and then fly back out to, to Berlin to do a gig, you know, I've done that as often as I can. It's very tiring and it's very hard work, but it's a balance, it's a juggling act. The band is not 100% of everything. As I say, I'd hate to be a casualty, alone. But can you imagine the situation being old, uh, still being wet, 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 but having no relationship and no real real founding? I think the family's where it all starts. Are you concerned that settling down may affect your popularity with the female fans in particular? (laughs) No, 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 I really don't think so. I like to think that people... um, Or male fans, for that matter. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, exactly. I think uh, people... I hope people look at wet, wet, wet and see good music and good songs... um, a band of substance, you know, of some substance, as opposed to just Marty Pello in the face, because and tight, and tight trousers that leave nothing to the imagination. You can see everything, uh, but I think uh, you know people. The emphasis on where, where it's about music. I mean, okay, but it's not. We're not a band full of elephant men, thank heavens, you know. But uh, I mean, of- it's sad. <laughs> it's sad to say oh, uh, if Marty Pello gets married, I'm, I'm never going to buy his records again. Well, I, well I, quite frankly, I don't want you buying my records, you know. So tell Avi. Okay, you're celebrating ten years at the top at the yes. moment. Can you manage another ten years? Uh, but once, once we eat this cake, we've got a huge cake, obviously, that uh, is going to be splited. No, no, seriously, in ten years' time, I don't see any reason why not. I think we're, we're taking less time to record our albums. We're enjoying ourselves more than we've ever done in, uh, in the past. Um, the quality of life is fantastic for us. Uh, our fans seem to have a great time when they come along, you know, and we still enjoy going on the TVs and we still enjoy everything that happens. Uh, in five years' time, I think we'll still be here. I think in ten years' time, we'll still be here. In fifteen years' time, hopefully, if we're all still alive, we'll still be here. Yeah. Marty, finally, your hopes for the band? Just to keep on having success and enjoying myself and uh, good health. <laughs>